0: Hey, everybody, it's me, Erica. And Rachel. And this is Story Crime. Woo! Woo! How are you doing today, Rachel? I am excellent. It's nice to be in person with you again. Still in person. Mm. We are recording a bunch of episodes back-to-back this weekend, so yay. Get ready. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm a little tired. Uh, last night we purdied hard until 8.30 and <laughs> I went to bed and I'm still feeling it because, you know... <laughs> That's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, I'm good. We went to Costco today and had lots of cheese samples. Oh my samples God, so and many cheese samples. Why? Why some cheese? Almost got roped into a pierogi party <laughs> by the pierogi guy. And it was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So today we are talking about somebody that I thought that Lawrence Spittaker and Roy Norris were really bad. And they are. They truly are. But this man that we are talking about today, if you were to look up the phrase that Rachel taught me today, Twat Waffle, <laughs> in the story crime dictionary of words, you will perhaps see the picture of this man and his four accomplices that we will be discussing. Shit. The true Twat Waffle. The true Twat Waffle. Uh, he is one of three serial killers that were dubbed the freeway killer in California. Mm. And He's perhaps one of the most sadistic, twisted, disturbing men I've ever had the pleasure of researching. Really? And you've researched some yeah, pretty sick fucks. Yeah. Like I said, he's right up there with Lawrence Pettigrew. And actually, the man we're talking about today, his name's William Bonin. And he was actually in San Quentin death row. With Lawrence Spitaker. And if you remember, we talked about how Lawrence Spitaker would like sell serial killer memorabilia. Yeah. And try to kind of profit off of his uh, fellow inmates up there. And William Bonin, actually, he tried to sell William Bonin's hair clippings after getting a haircut. And William Bonin essentially was like, you're not my friend anymore. Oh, shit. Because he was real pissed about that. So, little connection there between serial killers. This killer's early life would be an ultimate blueprint or how to guide of how to create a monster, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I sympathize with his horrific childhood. However, it is not an excuse for the way he behaves as an adult. Uh, It explains it definitely, but it does not excuse it. Mm -hmm. And he's a true demon in every sense of the word. He never showed one ounce of remorse for his victims or what he did to any of the people he came in contact with and was just a complete a-hole all the way up until he died because he is dead now. Ugh. So, without further ado, I think we should just get into it. What yes, do you think? I'm ready. So, William Bonin was born on January 8th, 1947 in Willimantic, Connecticut. His parents' names were Robert and Alice Bonin. And he was the middle child. He was the second of three brothers. Ooh. Now, like I said. Three brothers. Yeah. And like I said, uh, to say that his childhood sucked would be like the understatement of the century. Okay. He had a horrific, horrific upbringing. And again, like I said in the opening... It explains the monster he becomes. It does not excuse it because there are many people out there that suffer probably even worse childhoods than him and grow up to be functional members of society. Sure. However, it does not negate the fact that his childhood sucked. Now, both of his parents were alcoholics and his father was known to be physically abusive to both the children and the mother. And um, his mother, Alice, Bonin's mother, Alice, believed that his father actually also sexually abused the children. Oh, come on. His mother, however, was described as being overbearing, codependent, and sometimes passive woman, but she would suffer from wild mood swings. And she herself was abusive in her own way to the boys. So, oh, really? In spite of this dysfunctional environment, Bonin and his brothers were actively raised in the church by their parents. Okay. Bonin's father, he had a really, really problematic gambling problem. He would often spend all of the family's grocery money, mortgage money, whatever money they had, literally taking food out of the kids' mouths, essentially, to support his gambling habit. And this would lead the children to go hungry most of the time or without clean clothes. Mm. And thankfully, neighbors in their community would step in. They would feed the kids They would give them clothes. They would take them in for days at a time. Wow, that's nice. Just make sure that they were taken care of in some degree. None of them called children's aid. Okay, cool, 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 cool. This is the 40s and early 50s, so I I don't really know. People attempted to... Try to help, but stay out of people's business, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, at least they were helping. That's one good thing. Now, there were times when Bonin's parents would just decide they didn't want to take care of the children or, you know, one of the things I read was that when things became too desperate around the home, they would send the kids to spend time with their maternal grandfather. So this was Alice's father. Yeah. It was not a good move Uh to ever do that. Because he was a known convicted child molester. Oh. And what? he he had sexually abused Bonin's mother from the time she was a child, even up into adulthood, with her saying that even after she got married, he made sexual advances. <gasps> and she knew that the boys were being abused. What? In her father's care. So why send them there? Because I think it was just such a dysfunctional family unit to begin with. That they were better off there? Better off there. They were being sexually abused at home by the father. Anyways, oh, not Jesus. saying I'm not saying that that makes yeah, it. Okay. No, I know. I but just like... you'll see that Bonin was abused and sexually abused by literally every trusted adult he ever oh, came across. My God. Okay. In 1953, when Bonin was just six years old, he was placed in an orphanage run by a convent. He claims he has no memory of his time spent there, but others who live there have said that the children would receive cruel and unusual punishments from the nuns, which included having their heads shoved into toilet bowls. Mm. They would be forced to climb stairs until their legs gave out. And there was also a priest at this convent orphanage that would kind of cycle his way through the boys that yeah. lived there,
1: so you sexually know abusing them.
0: Yeah, so he doesn't remember because he completely blocked it out oh, because sure. it was a traumatic... Repressed experience. This is, oh my god, this poor child. Now, Bonin would disclose that he had, in fact, been sexually abused by another boy at the orphanage. However, he refused to give any details about the abuse he encountered. Now, one thing that did come out after that he did disclose after his arrest was that. Um, During this time, he would have been about six or seven. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to say this in a way that sounds offensive or anything, but he was almost a willing participant in his sexual abuse with this older boy. Mm. And he would say that the only way he would participate in the sexual abuse was if he could be bound. Oh, as uh, a six-year-old, he's asking to be bound? Yes. Have his hands tied and then he would participate. Oh, I don't like that. Um, and I'm just wondering if that could be perhaps because, obviously, with the adults that are abusing him are probably holding him down. Like, it's more of a comfort kind of... Oh, I don't of, like that at all. I don't know. But, like I said, just horrific, horrific abuse yeah. that he experienced as yeah. a child. Now, despite all of this abuse that he's encountering, his records from the orphanage would... Indicate that Bonin, who later on would be a well known troublemaker and lawbreaker, he was observed by officials and was said to function well under controlled environment, under the controlled environment of this convent, Mm. which of course he did because he's getting, he would be avoiding getting a swirly from a sadistic nun who's holding his head in a toilet. Like, how fucked is that? Like, you are a woman of God. I don't understand. How is that? okay i just don't understand i mean i don't understand how they got away with it like they get away with everything let's be yeah. real because his parents never came once to visit him while he was living in the orphanage bonham believed that his parents had actually died which made it even more surprising when in 1956 at the age of nine he was released and sent to live with his parents in mansfield connecticut but they had died well he thought they had died oh they had yeah. died so that's <laughs> so why it was even more he's surprising like, um hold on a second <laughs> what Yep. yeah at the age of ten, Bonin was placed in a Connecticut juvenile detention center for stealing license plates. And during the same year, Bonin said that he was sexually abused several more times by more than one offender while Fuck. in this detention center, including other boys being held there and yeah, staff. Probably staff, yeah. Um, but what does a ten-year-old want with license plates? What a what a hustle. Have, yeah, well, I don't know what he was doing with them, but he got well, selling, selling them, them. So yeah. yeah we, huh. Now, because of his father's gambling addiction, the family's home in Connecticut was under foreclosure, and Bonin's parents decided to make a clean start in California, and that's how they ended up there. In 1960, when Bonin was 13 years old, the family relocated to Downey, California. Um, and his pa- once his parents, or once the family moved there, his father would die shortly after of mm. liver failure, or cirrhosis of the liver. Bonin started high school in 1961, enrolling at North High School in Torrance. He was described as being a fairly unremarkable student, but more or less well-behaved. Can you imagine describing a child as unremarkable? Like, pick some better words, like maybe (laughs) below average, but like unremarkable? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Well, he was mostly a loner and felt generally uncomfortable and awkward around his peers, of course, because he's been abused by everybody who's ever come around him in his life. Now, during his teen years, he would start to come to the realization that he was gay, but that he also had an interest in pedophilia. Shocked? I'm not. Wait, hold on. He's 12? He's uh, 13. Well, it's during his teen years. So, pedophilia, he's still a child. No, but like this is during his teen years. Like he would he's be- still a child. Like Yeah, but So we'll he's get just there. interested in younger than him. Oh, yeah. Like much younger. Oh, I don't like that at all. Now, it was during this time that Bonham would go on to molest his younger brother. Oh, come on. Along with other neighborhood boys. <sighs> he would often lure these much younger children into his family home with the promise of alcohol and pornography. What? To these younger kids? Oh, yeah. How are they even exposed to like Want that. How? Because they think it's a grown-up thing, I guess. And that's what they would want to do. I mean, okay, but... Once he got them inside, he would sexually assault them. And when Bon... So, when he was doing this, apparently his mother and his brother were there, although they claim to have never heard or seen anything. Of and course not. the mother actually, she lives with Bon and on and off throughout his adulthood as well. Mm-hmm. And um, she claims that she didn't know... What was going on, although right, of I, don't, course. I don't know how you could hide it from someone, but maybe she's willfully ignoring him. Now, when Bonin wasn't terrorizing and abusing the neighborhood children, he would spend his time down at the bowling alley. And bowling was the one bright spot in an otherwise bleak existence for him. And he actually became really good at the sport, competing in amateur tournaments and joining a league. Hmm, that's good. He enjoyed how the other bowlers would encourage and cheer him on while he played, something that he never got from his own parents or family. Bowling was the only thing in his life that he had ever really been good at and made him feel good about himself. I mean, I'm glad that he found something. Yeah. I know how it turns out, but like this age of him. Yeah, I'm glad that he found something. Bonham would graduate from high school in 1965 without very much to show for it at all. And after being pressured by his mother, who believed that his homosexuality was something that could be cured, Bonin would become engaged to a woman. Oh. Alice Bonin believed that whatever sexual desires he had towards other men would surely go away once he knew the touch of a good woman. Oh my god, no. Mom. It's not entirely clear, but it would seem that she didn't know just how deranged her son's true... Uh, sexual desires were at this point and 1965 would actually end up being a very big year for Bonham because not only did he get engaged but he also joined the US Air Force there's like a real connection between military and serial killers I'm telling you be careful FBI guys she didn't mean it she didn't mean it oh Oh my god they're gonna come after us why did they come after (laughs) us (laughs) because they're the US military (laughs) yeah but you see this in so many um, serial killer cases I know but they They don't want you to link it I think they know. (laughs) Uh, So Bonin would spend five months in Vietnam as as an aerial gunner. He would end up logging over 700 hours of combat, and he was awarded with a good conduct medal after risking his own life to drag a wounded fellow soldier to safety. Wow. Mm -hmm. So on the surface, Bonin was playing the role of an all-American hero, but beneath the surface, his inner monster was boiling over. Ooh. What a... Like a... (laughs) What a lead-up, Erica. Yeah. <laughs> now he would claim, or he would admit to engaging in sexual activity with both males and females all over in Vietnam, and later he admitted to sexually assaulting at least two Air Force members at gunpoint. Oh, come on! So imagine this person who sexually assaulted you at gunpoint now goes home and gets awarded with a medal of good conduct. Um, I'm sure that happened more than oh, I'm just sure this one. Well, we know in Germany, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer sexually assaulted fellow um, soldiers while he was there. So, Bonin would later say about his time in Vietnam that it instilled a belief in him that human life is overvalued and humans generally overestimate overestimate their value in society. Wow. He stated that you learn that life is cheap over there. Oh, shit. What did he do over there that we don't know about? Three years after joining the Air Force, Bonin was honorably discharged from the military and moved back to California, where he married his fiance. Okay. Now, this marriage would be short-lived, and after he told her of a pretty horrific recurring dream that he had, she quickly filed for divorce. Oh. Dipped the fuck out. Can you imagine? You file for divorce because of a dream? Yeah. So, in the quote from uh, the Jack Rosewood book about William Bonin, his ex-wife stated, he told me he had... a this dream a lot of times he would be in a bar alone and he would walk up to a girl who had no face Hmm. he would buy her a drink and take her to a deserted place there he'd rape her kill her and bury her in a shallow grave oh my god yeah i did i would yeah like recurring Yeah. yeah 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 you know what peace yeah so now divorced, and moved back in with his mother, and it was shortly after this that he kidnapped and sexually assaulted four teenage boys. Oh, come on. The boys were 14-year-old William, no. 17-year-old John, 12-year-old Larry, and 18-year-old Jesus. Why do w- they got to be teenagers, you know? Well, this we'll see is his pattern yeah. and his victim type. He would force them to perform oral sex on him before he sodomized them and inflicted excruciating methods of torture on their bodies. Mm. In 1969, he was app- apprehended by police when he was trying to abduct and assault a 16-year-old boy. While the boy was trying to escape, a police officer just happened to be passing by, and the officer stepped in to help the boy. Wow. Wait, so did he kill those other four boys? No. Oh. They all survived. And they didn't go to police? They did. Oh. Bonin would end up telling the officer that it was a good thing he caught him; otherwise, the boy would have ended up dead. Wow! 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 You told the cop that? Yeah. Well, you okay. got some balls. Yep. Now, and because the other boys had gone to the police, they were able to connect all four. Okay. All four of their assaults with the attempted assault of the sixteen-year-old. Mm-hmm. Bonin would end up confessing to the four sexual assaults and one attempted sexual assault and would go to trial. He pleaded guilty to molestation and forced oral copulation and was sentenced to the Atescadero State Hospital in San Luis Obispo. A uh, hospital? So St- Atescadero State Hospital should sound familiar because Roy Norris went there. Pretty sure Lawrence Whitaker went there. Ed Kemper went there. Uh, Herbert Mullen, I believe, went there. And now William Bonin. Wait. We- so okay. what is in the water at a Tescadero State Hospital? Well, yeah, but yeah. But why did they put him in the hospital and not in jail? Cuz it's like a facility a men- it's a psychiatric facility. I know, so, but what do they think okay. that he was? So like it kind of gets explained here. Okay. So in in this hospital, he was diagnosed as a mentally disordered sex offender mm-hmm. and he was considered amenable to treatment. What does that mean? Means that he would be a good candidate for treatment, essentially. Okay, okay. Through physical evaluations, doctors were able to determine that due to the scars on his head and buttocks, that Bonin had experienced extensive trauma and abuse throughout his childhood. Mm. They also diagnosed him with manic depression, which isn't really surprising considering his mother had... Those drastic mood swings, right? Yeah. They probably just didn't have – she didn't have a diagnosis or a name for it, but yeah. I'm kind of sure that's what she was probably experiencing as well. Mm-hmm. And there was also damage to his frontal lobe, and this would be the area of the brain that would restrain Whoa. those violent impulses, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, and that would be from all of the beatings he liked to go. Yeah. So he would tell professionals that he had no memory of what caused any of the physical damage to his body or brain. But this is, like you said, likely a coping mechanism that he developed to deal with the painful memories of an abusive childhood. So. Mm-hmm. After two years at Tesco daro State Hospital, Bonin, who was once said to be amenable to treatment, was now declared untreatable by oh officials. Gosh. And he was sent to serve the rest of his sentence in a prison in 1971. You know what? Your mental state is so terrible that it is untreatable. <laughs> So, you know what? Just go to prison, John pop, you're good. Yeah, and when he was there, he would immediately assert his dominance over the other inmates, and he would sexually assault inmates. He would, like, ambush them in the shower, hold Shit. them down, Is, and rape them. Was he a big guy? Mm, no, not really. Like, average size. I wonder how he was able to get that control then, because they would already have their established... Well, I'm just wondering if it was, like, the ambush technique, right? You catch somebody unsuspecting. No, I know, but then you would think that that person would go back to their friends and be like, yo, this guy just jumped me in the shower and, like, say less. Yeah. You know, like, we're going to come after him. You know, I'm not really sure. Now, an official wrote in a report about Bonin later that he wanted to straighten himself out, but he just didn't know how to go about it, and... Well, I appreciate that this professional probably observed Vaughn and I have not. From what I've read about him, it did not appear that he wanted to straighten Mm. himself out. And we'll find that one of the things that makes him a true, true evil human being is that not only did he have no remorse for anything he did to Mm -hmm. anyone, Mm -hmm. he enjoyed it thoroughly. Ew. So three years later in May of 1974... Vaughn was declared no longer a danger to others by doctors and was how? released. How? Because one thing he said was that he realized during that three years at one point that if he ever wanted to get out, he had to stop abusing the other people. So he put on this like massive normalcy and faked it. Yes. So very ending temper of him. But like, how does authorities go from this man is untreatable to he's no longer to he's, a he's no longer a threat without any? Type of treatment. I have no idea. I'm just like, oh, he's cured. What? Well, unfortunately, this would be a grave decision that would lead to the loss of at least, at least 21 young lives. 21? Probably more. Holy shit, Erica. Probably more. About a year and a half after his release, Bonin came across a 14-year-old hitchhiker named David. 14? Come on. At first, David thought there was nothing off at all about Bonin. With David saying, he was totally cool. There was nothing in the least bit strange about him. And just so everyone knows, this is a surviving victim. So oh. David, um, he Phew. does come out of this alive. Thank goodness. Bonin then started asking him if he was gay. And David started like to feel kind of awkward about this and thought, like, something isn't Ooh, right here. He's 14. He's never been asked that question yeah. by anyone, let alone an adult. So David would ask him to pull over mm-hmm. so that he could get out of the car. Bonin would then drive the Amboy to a deserted field where he attacked him and brutally raped him. Oh, come on! After the rape, he attempted to strangle David with his own T-shirt, but then the boy started screaming out for help with everything he had left inside him. Good. And strangely enough, Bonin stopped and apologized. What? A little bit of humanity coming out? I'm not sure if he's maybe it snapped him into like a memory. Of yeah, like those screams was a of, trigger of himself. Ooh, you know, deep. being attacked. Yeah. I, I don't. I really don't know. Now Bonin ended up driving David home. What? But, bef- but before David got out of the car, Bonin turned to him, winked, and um, ominously told him, "We'll meet again." No, absolutely not. That's and, the thing. Nightmares are made of. Spoiler alert: Bonin never made good on that threat to meet him again. Okay, good. But, but they did meet again in court. In court, yes, maybe. honey. After this assault and attempted abduction of yet another teen, Bonin was sent back to prison. Yeah, thanks. At the time of his arrest, he was quoted as telling police that next time there won't be any witnesses. Oh. He would be charged with the rape and forcible or he would be charged with rape and forcible oral copulation of a minor, mm-hmm. as well as the attempted abduction of a 15 year old boy, which had occurred just two days after Bonin's assault on David. Jesus. This time, he would serve a sentence of 1 to 15 years at the California Men's Facility, where Lawrence Bittaker was. 1 to 15 yeah. years. What a range. In San Luis Obispo. Although Bonin denied his crimes to fellow inmates, because he was a convicted child molester, he was beaten and sexually assaulted on several occasions Good. while incarcerated. So he was getting a little back. Yeah. Not that it's okay, like this, this man he is a monster but he has suffered abuse in, sure he has yeah. but that's one good thing i think about prisons exactly. is that they will get a little their bit of eye for an eye type yeah. business Bonnen would serve just 3 years of that sentence and would be released on october 11th 1978 3 years yeah. why well he was given 18 months of supervised probation oh, does that off. make you feel better <laughs> no He would move back in with his mother, and he started working as a truck driver with a company called Dependable Driveaway in Montebello. Yeah, real dependable. During his time, Bonin would become well-known in the neighbourhood as the local child molester due to his penchant for inviting young boys back to his parents' house under the guise of giving them free alcohol and watching porn. So he would have these parties... Where kids would just come over and watch porn with him. And it's very John Wayne Gacy-ish. It's very disgusting-ish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not funny. I'm laughing because it's awkward. I'm not laughing because it's yeah. funny. Yeah. Although his mother and younger brother, like I said, were home when these boys would come to the house. Still claim they never heard or saw anything on tour. Absolutely not. Bullshit because his younger brother was also the victim of Bonin's assaults. Yes yeah. so. and how big is this house? Like you don't yeah. hear voices. Well it was like tract housing, so it would be like almost townhouses, row houses. So Still, you yeah. don't hear voices? No. Absolutely. I don't not. believe that. I think again, willful den- um uh, denial, isn't that what they call it? Yeah. Now Bonin would start attending parties at his friend's house who lived down the street and this man's name was Everett Frazier. It was at these parties where he would meet 22 year old vernon butts who everyone should know that name i mean i don't think you should know it now but now remember that name or vernon butts yeah vernon was an amateur magician and apparently also dabbled in the occult he was known as being eccentric he enjoyed reading horror fiction and cosplaying as darth vader um Okay, is this a bad man? Before this I- is a bad man. Oh, okay, I hate okay. Him. And okay. William say, Bonin he sounds kind of cool, but no, he's a bad man. He's a bad man. And William Bonin gets the notoriety from these crimes, for lack of a better term, but Vernon Butts, along with three other people in this case, need to be remembered, and I want their names on everybody's fucking mouth when this crime ever I comes feel, up. I feel like Vernon Butts is that, there's a joke in there somewhere, like somewhere. there's a Bart Simpson call to yeah. most Tavern yeah. somewhere yeah. in there. I wish, we should make one up. <laughs> So Vernon was also known to keep not one but two coffins in his apartment. What? Wait, what the fuck? He used. You can, can just go and buy coffins, like yes, yeah, so you don't have to prove that you're using, the using them. For death? Yeah, like why? Well, he would use one of them as a phone booth and the other as a coffee table. Okay, sure. I'm not gonna lie, that kind that of that sounds cool. okay. So I know this guy's a bad a man, piece of shit, but like yeah. he's a mu- um, a magician. Plus, has a coffin yeah, and coffee table. He's an amateur magi- magician. Still, if you can impress me with a card trick... <laughs> sure. But no, he's a bad man. Yeah. Now, shortly after meeting, the two men would get to talking, and they realized that they were both equally interested in sadistic rape and torture of young boys. Oh, I hate that. Now, no, Vernon Butts at this you point... lost your cool card, ben. Yeah. Now, Vernon Butts at this point had never acted on his fantasies when it came to this. William Bonin obviously had. He, you know, was ex- an experienced rapist at this point, but mm-hmm. Vernon Butts was just... The average magician? Yeah, and had those fantasies, I guess. But he had never acted on them. Because they got together, of course, it was just a matter of time before Vernon would become William's first accomplice. Now, also at these parties, Bond would meet a 19-year-old man named Greg Miley. Greg was an illiterate man from Texas with an apparent IQ of around 56. Oh, wow. And what we've learned is that 100 is the average. So he's got a low IQ. And because of this, he was very easily swayed by Bonin, which is not yeah. an excuse, but he would also share an interest in Bonin's sick fantasies. Both Greg Miley and Vernon Butts would become accomplices to the murders that Bonin would commit. And, you know, there are other accomplices, and this is what makes this case very strange. It's not like Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris mm-hmm. or even like Rose West and Fred West, where they have the accomplice and it's one and they commit these crimes together kind of exclusively. Yeah, Bonin rotates through these accomplices and four people who were willing to do this with him. And that's what I was questioning how did they meet again they met at a party so like, at uh, his friend's house and his friend everett frazier apparently knew nothing but he would speak to the police later but about these crimes we'll so how do these four people coincidentally meet at a party and they all Are have sadistic yeah. ten- like fantasies i have no idea i, mean, I, I don't, don't think i've ever met someone at a party that has a s- sadistic tendency let alone four If somebody ever came up to me and was like, yo, you want to go kill some hitchhikers? I'd be like, yeah, let's do that. I just need to make a quick call right now to the police. Hold on. Let me call my mom. Yeah. 911. Like, how does that happen that they all four met at this party? Like, what kind of universal fucking collide is that? I want to know if how many people he approached with this idea that did turn him down before meeting these people. How do you bring that up? Oh, no, nice weather we're having, isn't it? And yes. Do you, you want to fucking rape and kill people? Yeah. What? Like, it's pretty fucked. And his accomplices would later say, Oh, there was something hypnotic about him. It's like you got in there and you started and you couldn't stop and he just no, had this no, control no, over you. No. Or they said, we were scared. I don't take any of their explanations of what they did as an excuse no. for their actions. They're all equally awful. Mm-hmm. And we are going to talk more about each and every one of them throughout this this is going to be a two-parter guys because it is long so okay yeah and if he did approach other people at the party to wean out these four none of them thought to tell the appropriate authorities or beat his ass right then and there like what do you mean you're going to murder someone pop 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 yeah i have no idea i mean i'm such a badass myself like Now, before Bonin officially started committing murders, he would remove the inner handles from his Ford Ecoline van, which he called the murder van. So, so very creative out of here. Uh, So, this would prevent his potential victims from escaping once they were lured or forced into the vehicle. When Bonin did select a victim, they would be bound, raped, tortured, and beaten in every single way you can possibly imagine before eventually being strangled usually by their own t-shirt, and disposed of, like, trash on the side of the freeway in dumpsters and alleyways or just on the streets of, of Los Angeles. Bonin, like I said, would actually be one of at least three serial killers in California that were dubbed the freeway killer by the press, the other one being Randy Kraft and, sorry, the other two being Randy Kraft, the scorecard killer, and Patrick Kearney. Wow. Now, it's not uncommon, like I said, for killers to commit their murders in pairs, but William Bonin considered murder to be a team sport, and stop it. Like I said, would acquire at least four accomplices during his murder spree. A team sport. Yes. You're sick. He's very disgusting. You're sick. Very gross. Now, Bonin's first murder occurred on the morning of May 28th, 1979. And this time he would have the assistance of Vernon Butts, who we'll see is the most, he participates the most in the murders. Really? Thomas Lundgren was just 13 years old when he left his parents' house in Reseda that day and started hitchhiking. Thomas had reportedly told friends that he was going to meet a man at a skate park that was going to take pictures of him, which doesn't sound much that, better. Yeah, honey, what? Yeah, I'm not really sure. So, unfortunately, he was spotted not saying that Thomas Lundgren got himself into this situation at all. No. I'm just saying that sounds but a little someone weird Someone should have as been well. alerted at yeah. that story. Unfortunately, he was spotted by Bonin and Butts, who offered the boy a ride. He accepted the ride, a decision that would unfortunately prove fatal for this young boy. Mm-hmm. Thomas would be brutally raped and tortured by Bonin and Butts before they dumped his body. Thomas's remains would be found later that same day in Agora. His autopsy showed that his genitals were removed. Oh, his throat was slashed, and his body was covered in stab wounds. Oh my God, that he poor child. Also showed signs of strangulation. Mm. Bonin would later deny his involvement in the murder of Thomas Lundgren, telling reporters that he didn't cut the dicks off small boys. Um, sure, Bonin. What? Now, ultimately, he would never stand trial for Lundgren's death, but authorities still link Bonin to this murder. Wow. So this guy is murdered, like this kid's murderer, is still. Well, if out I mean, there? they think that they're pretty sure Bonin did it, although Bonin denies being. There was just no evidence. Ye- well, yeah. Later that summer, Bonin was arrested yet again for molesting a 17-year-old boy, and because he was still out on probation, he should have been immediately sent back to prison yes. to serve the remainder of the 15-year sentence. Yes. Due to an administrative error, no, he was l- released before his court no. date. No. No. So, like, not, okay, yeah. Oh, my God. You got one job. Mm-hmm. Bonin's friend and neighbor, Everett Frazier, would pick him up from the Orange County Jail. And on the way home, Bonin told Frazier, no one's ever going to testify again. I'm never letting this happen to me again. Oh, fuck. Fuck. He could have been a one and done in jail for the rest of your life.
1: He had this not
0: stupid fucking administration yeah. error. I think he should have been in jail after the four... Assaults and one attempted assault, but that's just me. On August fourth, nineteen seventy nine, Bonin and Butts would strike again. They spotted seventeen year old Mark Shelton who was walking to see a movie. It was highly speculated that Mark was forcibly abducted by the pair because neighbors reported that they heard screams around the time that Mark had left his parents' house. Mark would be tortured and raped, and he was at one point sodomized by Bonin with several different objects, one of which was a pool cue. During the attack, Mark went into shock, and because of the injuries that were inflicted on him, this state of shock he was in resulted in his death. Yeah, absolutely. Can you – oh, you're, like, literally shocked to death. Yeah. Like, that's – and you know what? Like, just going back to the neighbor, Mm -hmm. it makes me paranoid every time, like, I hear a child outside, like, in this neighborhood scream, like, any neighborhood, really – I want like I'm like was that a shrill scream or was that a playful scream and like I'm, a lot of people didn't know and this is what they say neighbors around Bonin actually said was that they had heard screams coming from his mother's house when he lived there and was having those parties oh, shit. and um, they that's exactly what they said they couldn't tell if they were agony screams or if they were yeah. playful screams and like there's a kid screaming right now imagine and we're just like no yeah you're just playing. Fuck me. Yeah, that's terrifying. it's scary to think of. Yeah. Well, and remember the kitty genovese right? Like that bystander effect. Yeah. We oftentimes people in society think, Well it Someone could be else. a scream and, and if it is a scream of agony, somebody else will probably yeah. take care of it. Oh my god. Now I'm gonna be calling nine one one for every scream. Make sure you shut your kids up. <laughs> yeah. Around me. Bonnet and butts would dump Mark's body in San Bernardino County. And now, because Mark Shelton died from his injuries before the couple, couple were sufficiently satisfied, they set to work looking for their next victim almost immediately. Mm. The next day, Bonnet and Buds came across 17-year-old Marcus Graves. He was a German exchange student who was celebrating his 17th birthday. Oh, come on. Not on the kid's birthday. By backpacking across the U.S. He was last spotted hitchhiking along the Pacific Coast Highway. And between the hours of 10 and 11 p.m., Marcus was picked up by Bonin and Butts. They would begin their sadistic torture and sexual abuse of Marcus in the back of the van before heading back to Bonin's mother's house. While at the house, the unimaginable torture and assault of Marcus Grab continued until he died. (sighs) He was apparently stabbed more than 77 times. What? And experts say the overkill here and in other murders where multiple stab wounds and aggressive violence were present. That this could have been an attempt by Bonin to kill his homosexuality. Who? Like, Vernon's homosexuality? No, to kill Bonin. Bonin, Like, William Bonin. Yeah. Yeah. So, 77 times. Like, that is insane. That's a lot of overkill. Like, I can't even fathom. For somebody that's basically a complete stranger, that's why I think that that assessment of why they think he did that... So he thought if he stabbed this kid lo- enough times that he would no longer be gay? Or it's either he wanted to kill his homosexuality or, again, I'm not a licensed professional in any stretch of the imagination, but maybe to even kill the memories of his tortured past. Could have been. To assert such dominance over someone else and power over someone else that it's going to negate what happened to him in some way. He's killing all those that, people. like, my brain cannot even... I know wrap around this and again i'm not a licensed professional i have no like i am and i cannot wrap my brain around this Bonnet and butts would dump marcus grob's body in the malibu canyon where his nude and battered body was found the next day he had a yellow nylon rope still around his neck Mm -hmm. and an electrical cord around one of his ankles one of the investigators likened the injuries inflicted on marcus to that of a rabid dog that has gone insane and doesn't know when to stop biting Oh, my God. On August 29th, 1979, 15-year-old Donald Hayden Jr. was out exploring Hollywood. Donald was originally from Cincinnati, but after his parents divorced, his mother decided to move herself and her two sons to the West Coast to give them all a fresh start. Oh, please. The guilt that she's going to live with for the rest of her life. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Bonnet and Butts spotted Donald walking along Santa Monica Boulevard that morning. The men abducted Donald and tortured him throughout the entire night. When they finished, they discarded his beaten and tortured body in a dumpster near the Ventura freeway, giving him less respect than a bag of trash. Oh, please, Erica, come on. Donald's body was discovered at around 11 a.m. the next morning. His autopsy showed that he had been stabbed in both the neck and genitals. He showed signs of being burned, and there was an extensive bruising covering his entire body. This part's rough, guys, just so you know. Okay. Well, this part's rough? Okay. I know the whole thing is rough, but this is, yeah. Due to the distension of his anus, it was suspected that he had been violated with a fist or something similar in size. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it was also clear that Donald had been struck on the head several times before being strangled, and then his body dumped. Oh, this poor child. It was extremely clear at this point that if Vernon Butts had any reservations about what he was participating in with his friend, that it didn't seem to bother him. Yeah, clearly not. He's such a fucking butt. Vernon was quoted as saying, After the first one, I couldn't do anything about it. He had a hypnotic way about him. No, there's nothing hypnotic enough to make you commit murder, torture, rape, murder. You cannot be hypnotized hard enough. Yeah. No. Two weeks later, the two men spotted 17-year-old David Murillo. He was riding his bike to catch a Sunday night movie on September 9th, 1979. David was lured into the van. Once inside, he was bound, raped, and strangled before being bludgeoned with a tire iron. Oh, my God. His body was discovered three days later alongside Highway 101. Eight days later, 18-year-old Robert Wyrostek was riding his bike to a grocery store where he worked as a clerk. He would unfortunately never make it there, and his body was discovered 10 days later alongside the I-10. Now, at this point, Bonnet and Butts seemed to take a bit of a vacation from killing, and decided to lay low for about two months. But by November, their desire to kill began to overwhelm them. What? Can you imagine your desire to kill overwhelming you? is overwhelming? Like- I mean, sometimes I have a desire for pizza that becomes so overwhelming. Sure, uh, pizza,
1: carbs,
0: you know, grease, not a problem. On November 29th, Bonin and Butts abducted a unidentified teen. They beat, raped, and strangled him to death before dumping his body in Kern County. Mm. And I believe that that victim is still unidentified. There was really? no, they suspect he was probably a homeless youth oh. um, or a runaway. Well, his life matters. Rest yeah. in peace, to whoever you yeah. are. You poor soul. They would strike again just the next day. They abducted 17 year old Frank Fox from Bellflower. His remains re- were dumped on the Ortega Highway, just near the I five. Mm-hmm. His autopsy showed signs of beating, and there were lig- ligature marks around his ankles, neck, and wrists. Mm. They also found green carpet fibers in his pubic hair, and there were signs that a sexual assault had taken place. So they don't have any leads on any of these murders so far. We're gonna talk about the police. In a oh little fuck! Bit. Don't yeah. even piss me off. Of course, when Bonin went to trial, the carpet fibers that they found on his body would prove to be a vital piece of evidence and jack rosewood writes in his book about these fibers fox might not have survived his encounter with Bonin and butts but he would certainly do his part in death to see that his killers were brought to justice even if it was from the grave good 15 year old john kilpatrick was Bonin's next next victim John had left his parents' house to visit with friends when he was taken into Bonin's van. Oh, come on. John was found on December 13th, 1979, and his body showed that his cause of death was likely strangulation. Mm-hmm. And John's parents had recently gotten a divorce. John was really going through it. He was struggling with, with all of that changes that were happening in his family. Mm-hmm. He was actually known to take off from home and kind of clear his mind, sometimes staying with friends for days at a time. And because of this... His parents weren't initially worried when he didn't come home, and she figured he was just out, you know, doing what he well, normally again, did, yeah. clearing his head. Yeah. John actually remained a John Doe until the 5th of August in 1980, when he was finally positively identified. Wow. On January 1st, 1980, Bonin rang in the New Year by committing a very rare solo murder. He abducted, raped, and tortured 16-year-old Michael Francis McDonald before killing him and dumping his body along Highway 71 in San Bernardino County. Michael's body wouldn't be officially identified until March 24th of 1980. Bonin wouldn't kill for another month or so, but his next murder would uh, would be committed with the assistance of a new accomplice. Oh, wow. 19-year-old Greg Miley would join his friend when they picked up 19-year-old Charles Miranda, or sorry, 15-year-old Charles Miranda when he was hitchhiking along Santa Monica Boulevard. <sighs> Miley would tie up Charles so Bonin could have his way with him. And it's also reported that Miley attempted to rape Charles but wasn't able to sustain an erection. So instead, he sodomized and brutally assaulted him with various objects. It's like, oh, hey, my body knows something is wrong and is not going to allow this to happen. Not a problem. Yeah. I have something else. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Just absolutely fuck off. Now, during this assault, Bonin reportedly said to Miley, this kid's going to die. Mm-mm. To which Miley responded, well, why don't we just let him go then? Bonin said, no, because he'll know it's us and he'll know the van. Oh, oh, Bonin okay. then demonstrated for Miley his preferred method of killing his victims. He strangled Charles with his own t-shirt using the tire iron kind of as a garrote Oh, like tightening it. Yeah, to twist the shirt as tight as possible around the boy's (laughs) neck. Miley apparently enjoyed this so much that he excitedly jumped on the boy's chest repeatedly while Bonin was strangling him. After leaving the book, yeah, well, yeah, nobody's denying that. Mm -hmm. After leaving the body of Charles Miranda in downtown Los Angeles, Bonin said to Miley, "I'm still horny. Let's do another one." No. Miley claimed that at first he didn't want to do another one, but eventually he gave in and Bonin went on, and he and Bonin went on the hunt for the next victim. Now, this one is really, really difficult to listen to, guys. So if you want to take a moment. This one's difficult. I am terrified of what you're about to say. So if you guys want to take a moment, it does involve a young child. So if you want to take a moment, fast forward. Mute us and for the next couple of minutes. How do I take him on my (laughs) air, You signed up. (laughs) So later that same day, Bonin and Miley came across 12-year-old James McCade. McCade. No, No, 12. He was waiting at a Huntington Beach bus stop for a ride to Disneyland. No! James was staying with his older brother while his parents were out of town, and his brother had dropped him off at that bus stop along with some money to take the bus and go to Disneyland. And I think... He was going by himself. This was normal. Disneyland was a very different place in the 70s. And a 12-year-old, like, that seems like a a regular activity to do. Yeah. I, the destination, for some reason, just makes this even more hard. Like, he was a child going to Disneyland. Oh, my God. Now, he was so excited to spend the day riding all the rides and seeing all the attractions. According to Greg Miley, they approached James and offered him a ride, and he got in the van willingly likely because he was so excited about meeting Mickey Mouse. I mean. Because he couldn't even consider the danger that was coming his way. Uh, Jack Rosewood writes in his book, instead of heading to the happiest place on earth, James had entered hell. my god, that makes Yikes. me. Sends shivers down my spine. I had shivers, but I also, like, instantly almost teared up. Like, yeah, it's very sad. Holy when shit. I you think you're going to Disney World to meet Donald Duck and Mickey? I just can't. I can't. <sighs> Bonham pulled into the parking lot of a grocery store, climbed in the back of the van, and raped and tortured the child while he cried. Oh, come on. Miley soon joined in on the assault as well. Now, strangely, James would cry himself to sleep, and Bonham would wait to murder James until he was sleeping. He used his t-shirt to strangle James, and his body would be found three days later on February 6, 1980, beside a dumpster. And, like, I wonder if he was crying himself to sleep or he cried himself into shock mode of, like, I'm just going to go unconscious because that's easier to deal with. But don't you find it strange that of all the victims, he's killed them, just, he's raped, tortured, assaulted, all sorts of things to his victims, and then with this one he allows him to, to cry himself to sleep and, and be... Unconscious, basically, when he yeah. kills him, almost like he's he's giving some kind of mercy to well, James Well, yeah, McCabe. probably those cries from a 12-year-old yeah. haunted him, like the rest of us. Now, that aside, Bonin would later tell reporters that of all his victims, the little kid was the easiest one to kill. Yeah, obviously, he's fucking 12. His neck is not... Yeah, oh and he's not doesn't have the strength. Yeah. One day after the murder of James McCabe and Charles Miranda... Bonin was taken into custody for parole violations. He was remanded in the Orange County Jail until March 4th, 1980. What parole violation do they I say? I don't... I actually don't know. I Imagine it was that like you I stayed out past nine. Yeah. Get bent. On March 14th, 1980, 18-year-old Ronald Gatlin would go missing from North Hollywood. After sexually assaulting Ronald, Bonin used an ice pick to hack away at his face. Oh, come on, Erica. I needed a bit more warning than that. Sorry. And... Oh, God. An ice pick. So this is very reminiscent of the toolbox yes, killers here. Yes. Oh, my God. He would also stab Ronald in the ear with the ice pick. No. In the nose. We're back. And he would stab him in other parts of the body as well. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Ronald was, rape, was raped, beaten, burned, and sodomized with foreign objects. His body would be found the next day showing evidence of strangulation and ligature marks on his ankles, wrists, and neck. One evening in March when Bonin was attending a party at his friend Everett Fraser's home, he came across 17-year-old William Pew. <laughs> I like to say it like that, like he just farted and everybody's like, "William, pew." Cuz he's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. As the pew, two, pew. As the two were leaving at around the same time, Bonin offered Pew a ride home where Bonin would ask him if he wanted to have sex. Pew did. Bonin asked, "Pew-pew?" If he wanted to have sex. Okay. Pugh did not want to have sex, and when Bonin slowed at a stoplight, Pugh tried to escape from the van, only to have Bonin kind yeah. of hold him in the seat, push him back down, and say, like,
1: you're, so is he, he a victim or
0: an accomplice? He then told Pugh about his favorite pastime of okay. raping accomplice. and murdering boys before dropping William Pugh off at his house unharmed. However, after surviving this encounter... Pew decided that he too would like to try his hand at murder and he would become Bonin's next accomplice. Absolutely not. Go fuck yourself. You were like, hey, I'm terrified. I'm about to get raped and killed. Wait a minute. But actually. Let me go do that. Get fucked. fucked. Bonin would actually later tell Pew that he had wanted to make him his next victim, but because they had left the party together and people had seen them, he decided against it. Oh my god! So because there's an fucking witnesses, you your life was spared. Come with me, and now we're gonna do it to other people. Oh my god! So on March twentieth, nineteen eighty, eighteen ninety is what I put in my notes, but no, nineteen eighty. <laughs> Vaughn and Pew picked up their latest victim. This was fifteen year old Harry Todd Turner. Harry had recently absconded from a boy's home and was spotted by Bonin and Pugh along A Street in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. According to Pew. Bonin lured the boy into the van with the promise of giving him $20 for sex. $20? It is 1980. That's still cheap as fuck when you have nothing. Okay, true, 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 true. After raping and torturing Harry... Torturing Harry, Bonin bit into the boy's penis until it tore <gasps> and bled. <gasps> Bonin would then order Pew to beat the boy up before Bonin strangled him with a T-shirt. They dumped his body in a Los Angeles alleyway, and his autopsy revealed clear evidence of the bite marks on his genitals, yes. along with eight separate skull fractures. Yes, cars. dental marks, bitch. You're caught. On April 10th, Bonin was discharged from parole. Don't ask me why. Get out of here. To celebrate, he lured sixteen-year-old Stephen John Wood into his van as he was walking to school. To celebrate getting off of parole, he picked up his next victim. Yeah, I. It's like when Kemper got uh, discharged from parole and he had the head of that girl in his car. Remember? I just yeah. People, oh my God. sick people. Now Stephen actually knew Bonin through his older brother, so when Bonin offered him a ride, he accepted the offer without hesitation. His body was found on April eleventh, and there was evidence of beating about his face and body, and his head, and he had ligature marks on his ankles, wrists, and neck. Mm-hmm. And Stephen's murder obviously just devastated his entire family. His older brother Carl took the news particularly hard and never truly recovered from the loss of his younger brother. Mm-hmm. Carl would develop a painful addiction to drugs and alcohol, and on Bonin's birthday, on January eighth, nineteen eighty nine, he would take his own life. Oh no! And Bonin did not fucking care when he heard about this. He was like, like, "Oh, cool, a murder that I didn't have to commit." He, yeah, exactly. He almost killed both of them. Basically, (sighs) that poor family, that poor mother. Oh my gosh! Now, in this next murder, you will see that Bonin and his accomplices are escalating. I mean, they've been escalating this whole time, and what a lot of psychologists believe is that with each murder, it would get worse and worse, because, like an addict... Yeah, you have to chase the dragon. Yeah. Now, Erica, for my own mental capacity, and it's, for those of our listeners, yeah. are we covering all 20 murders? So, we are, but not in this episode. <laughs> cool, cool. We're just yeah. gonna... We're almost to the end of out. this episode, to this part, to part one. Um, yeah. Okay. Just, no, I just need to be prepared because if they keep getting worse, I yeah. need to be prepared. <laughs> we need to have at least three shots to tequila. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're going to see a real escalation here um, in you, just the tools that they use in, in terms of. Torturing this victim. So, for me, along with the rest of you, trigger warning. Yes. <laughs> on April 29th, 1980, Bonin met Darren Lee Kendrick in the parking lot of a grocery store that Darren worked at. Bonin, working with his old pal Vernon Butts on this one, lured Darren into his van with the promise of drugs. Mm-hmm. His body was found the next day, and his autopsy would r- reveal a serious escalation, like I said, and what Bonin was truly capable of. He had been... like, bru- And I just... Sorry to interrupt again. Yeah. I just cannot... And I think for me, I need that time to, like, process that there's going to be an escalation because how the fuck do you escalate from what he's already been doing? Anyways, I had to get that off my chest. Okay, go on. Darren had been brutally beaten and sodomized. He had ligature marks on his wrist, ankles, and neck. Bonin had stabbed Darren in the ear with an ice pick and in his nose. Separate, and when he stabbed him in the ear with the ice pick he had actually severed the top of his spinal cord. Oh my God. This had actually resulted in his death. But before he died, he, they noticed he also had chemical burns on his mouth, chin and chest. And this was from being forced to drink hydrochloric acid. Oh my God. Even with all the damage that had been done to Darren's body, he fiercely fought both of his attackers until he became faint and vomited. And when he lost consciousness, Bonin strangled him with a t-shirt. His body was thrown away like trash behind a warehouse near the Artesia Freeway. Bonham later said of the murder of Darren Kendrick, This kid started fading out and just, like, whimpering. And I don't like raping some limp piece of meat. It's no no fun if they don't let me know how it feels. No! No! Erica! No! Guess we gave him too much of that stuff. Next time, I figured I wouldn't use as much. Anyways, I'd gotten my rocks off and the kid was getting boring, so no more fun. So I strangled him. I hate that. He's so fucking mad. sick. And, like, that's one thing about Bonin is that he loved causing the pain and he loved seeing them in pain. That was, like, what really did it for him. It wasn't like some murderers where they either enjoy the process of killing or they enjoy the aftermath of the killing. He enjoyed every single part of what he, he got was doing. got off on their pain every like a single true part. sadistic piece yeah. of garbage monster. Now, when Bonin wasn't busy abducting and raping young boys, he did do his best to maintain some level of normalcy to those who knew him and knew nothing of this darker side of him. Bonin would enter into a relationship with a man named Lawrence Sharp, and he was 18 years old at the time that they were together, and by all accounts, they had a relatively normal relationship, despite the difference in age. Bonin at this point was in his early 30s. However, Bonin would eventually become, quote, bored with the relationship and at some point between April and May of 1980 Bonin just killed Lawrence Jesus Christ Bonin said I just woke up one morning and decided I was tired of him I just got tired of having him around so I decided yeah I should kill him you know what I could break up with him because this is a normal relationship or I could murder him like Get, oh my Get fucked. Yeah. Now, while all this is going on, the police are finding more and more bodies piling up on their caseloads. However, they weren't quite putting piece, the pieces together and making the connection that they had a serial killer on their hands. How? How not? They refused to believe that they had a serial killer going yeah. around. And it would be the media that first told the public about Bonin's murders. <gasps> However, they referred to him as the freeway killer in yeah. the press, as his identity wasn't yet known. Of course, yeah, because the police are trash and not doing a goddamn thing. Despite the police trying to assure the public that they didn't have a serial killer roaming the freeways, the media wasn't so sure. Reporter J.J. Maloney covered the story of the freeway killer for the Orange County Register and had had run the story in 1979 about the bodies of young boys turning up, tortured and strangled along the freeway thankfully for him because no. what the hell are the police doing yeah so maloney had actually come across uh, an envelope of clippings i don't know where he came across this but he did and the this envelope was labeled dead gay boys Uh-oh. and he thought this is something i really need to follow these are leads i need to follow like this doesn't make um, sense yeah how do you es- come across <laughs> especially since this envelope contained the story of james mccabe the 12 year old victim who was on his way to disneyland and he thought something's weird dead gay boys and then there's this 12 year old well, james mccabe like, how do you come across an envelope labeled that and just be like, you know what? You yeah. know, it's cool. Like, no, you're going to investigate that. Like, what? And he's a reporter, right? He's not even the police. Yeah, whatever. but he's going like, to investigate for reporting yeah. because that's quite the hot tip. Now, Maloney was quoted as saying, it appeared certain that a psychopathic killer was on the loose. And that kind of killer, once he starts, repeats and repeats and repeats. One killer, one spree. If the police wouldn't say it publicly, somebody had to. It won't be surprising to know that in the late 70s and early 80s, the gay community was treated, you know, not good. The police were operating under the assumption that the amount of young male bodies being found around the state of California were either the unfortunate victim of several different murderers, Mm -hmm. or they were killed in some kind of gay crime of passion. Oh, fuck off. So basically, like what I understood from that was that this is a man. He's been Rape, tortured, murdered, strangled, thrown on the highway, he must be gay, which yeah. is would explain the gay, dead. Boys, boys, boys yeah. or whatever folder that he found. The police actually told Maloney that it wasn't unusual to find strangled young men around the city, given the high population of homosexuals in the area. What? Which doesn't? I can't wrap my re- brain around that kind of you thinking. Know, and I know it's not that much better today, but like, you know what? There's <laughs> there's been a lot of those around. So and regardless, we, we just of, don't really care that much. In, and in my opinion, regardless of whether or not they're homosexuals, they've still been murdered. Yes. Like, what makes it different? I just, and can't just can't wrap because my head they were rape does not mean they were gay. And like, what well, and that's what I was going to say is that there's not really evidence to say that many of these victims that Bonin yeah. and his accomplices were raping and murdering were gay. I'm like, where so, is that evidence? I'm so angry right now. Despite the information that Maloney had found pointing to one offender committing these crimes, the police were not hearing anything of it and refused to follow the serial killer lead. Hold on. Did Maloney find things to, to link it to Bannon? No, not yet. Bonin. Bonin. Why do I keep saying Bannon? Thankfully, Maloney strongly believed that the public had a right to know, and more importantly, that hitchhikers, the prime target of mm-hmm. whoever was doing this, so that they could protect themselves from becoming a victim for whoever was committing these crimes. Yes. Thank you. Someone. On March 24th, 1980, when the story of the freeway, freeway killer officially broke, the police were pissed. Many officers, pissed? They were pissed because the paper ran the story. Many officers job, believed- yeah. Many officers believe that the story was crafted by journalists just to sell papers. Captain Walt Omsby of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department said, This is built up and created a lot of fear about a killer, and there is no evidence substantiating any of that. It's a total figment of the minds of journalists. He was. What's that word? Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> coverage of the of his crimes in the press didn't stop Bonin from committing his vicious crimes and when stories about his victims started to pop up in the newspaper he would cut them out and he started a little scrapbooking project of course he did and he would flip through this with his accomplices he would keep the scrapbook tucked away in the glove box of his murder van, and he loved reading about himself and took pleasure in being able to relive his crimes. Oh my God. Witnesses testified that he would point to different victims' pictures and say, that was number seven. No. That was number 14. No. Bonham would go on to commit at least two more murders before he was eventually captured in a way that I think will not surprise anyone, but you know what? If you guys want to hear about that, you're going to have to tune in next week to hear the conclusion. <laughs> Of this motherfucker, William Bonin. That was evil, Erica. <laughs> He's also um, going to acquire another accomplice in the next episode, so. Okay, so let's have that all-important talk. How are we going to engage in self-care after Well, this? we do have another box of wine. That's true. The of chips. And uh, like I said last week, we are working on something. A little something-something to put on uh, maybe our Buy Us a Coffee page or our patreon that we're thinking of starting so Ooh, that's what i'm hoping to do and it's going to be something a little lighter okay and we're also going to do a face mask yeah we're going to have that cake we bought some cake we bought <laughs> an oreo cake thank you rachel for the oreo cake welcome. uh we bought a chicken pot pie yep costco thank you love them um self-care self-care 101 you know what let us know what you do for self-care because that's imp- this i'm I'm traumatized. Yeah. So if you want to let us know what you do for self-care or anything else you want to tell us, you can do that by following us at Story Crime Pod on Instagram. And if you want to send me an email about, uh, you know, your self-care tips or anything else you you want to share, you can do that at Story at gmail.com. And if you want to help support the pod, you can do that by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Every time you say that, can I, if you want to help of support i always think you're about to say if you want to help support the pet population have your pet painted or neutered you can do that too um i'm a strong believer in neutering your pets so is bob barker um and if you want to go the next step further and help support us you can do that on our buy me a coffee page which you will find in the show notes so look there Woo. We love you guys so much, and thanks for listening. And we will see you next week for our epic conclusion of William Bonin. Can't wait. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.